Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. We're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, are you a recovering awkward person? My next guest states she is, although you'd never know it given her amazing insights and understanding of what she has branded the science of people. As we know from being a child and certainly a preteen or ah, a teenager, we all feel awkward from time to time, maybe some of us more than others. My own palms get sweaty just thinking about walking into school on the first day or after a fight with a friend or worse, a breakup. Blarg. And what about when walking into a party or a school event when you're not quite sure who's going to be there or when you do know who's going to be there and you're like, don't exactly jive with them. I don't even know if people still say jive, but I'm going to say right now. <laughs> anyway, what if we could tap into the science of people so that we can give the kids and teens in our lives some hacks that allow them to be successful in social situations? And what if some of these hacks could help us connect better and have better conversations with our kids? That would be pretty awesome. Well, I have got the show for you today. Vanessa Van Edwards is a lead investigator at the Science of People, a human behavior research lab. She is the national best-selling author of Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People, which was chosen as one of Apple's most anticipated books of the year. Her work has been featured on CNN, NPR, Fast Company. She writes a monthly column on the science of success for Entrepreneur Magazine and the Huffington Post. She even has a successful TED Talk, which is awesome. She speaks worldwide, and I couldn't be more thrilled to have her stop by our show today to give us some great insights. So welcome, Vanessa to how to talk to kids about anything. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so thrilled to have you. I've read your book. I love your book. I've highlighted your book. I think it works for so many different types of people, adults, kids, whatever. But before we get into the bulk of the interview, I want you to tell us, if you can, first, what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in finding out, to use your words, what makes people tick and what drives their behavior. Sure. Yeah. So I, as you mentioned earlier in my intro, I'm a recovering awkward person. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of those kids growing up where I was afraid of the playground. So, you know, the the recess bell would ring and I would literally beg my teachers to either wash the chalkboard because mm-hmm. back in my day there was chalkboards mm-hmm. um, and um, or, or organize my desk. I would offer to cut up uh, paper for the bulletin boards mm-hmm. because I was so terrified of the playground. And I had very lovely, well-meaning adults in my life who were trying to help me navigate the social world. And they were trying, but they would say things that made it even harder for me. Like they would say, you know, just be yourself. Mm. You'll find friends if you're more yourself. And, you know, as a teenager, um, if I had very low self-esteem and I, now I know that 
if you don't like yourself, it's very hard to be yourself. Mm-hmm. And that is something that that gets me up in the morning is trying to find people who maybe they don't like something about themselves or they don't even know themselves and giving them some kind of social tools to break out of that trap because it does feel like a prison when you're there. Mm. So beautifully said, and I really appreciate how you come from such an authentic place. You you use this authenticity when you begin your book, and you hooked me right away, um, which I guess is just part of your charm and your skill. You say, hi, my name is Vanessa, and I'm a recovering awkward person. I don't know why I'm giving you this voice, but okay. So, hi, my name is Vanessa, and <laughs> I'm a recovering awkward person. At school dances, I'd volunteer to watch the punch bowl. Growing up, if a cool kid accidentally bumped me, I would start hiccuping uncontrollably. On, um, on particularly socially anxious days, I'd break out in hives. It wasn't all bad, though. On Valentine's Day, my teachers gave me cards. So, ouch. Um, so, if, if you could go back and give yourself three hacks, which you talk about so beautifully in this book, to master the social situations that really did make you break out in hives, what three would you pick? Ooh, that's such a good question. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And you know that I'm like addicted to really good conversation sparkers, and that's such a good one. Okay, good. Um, So (laughs) I think the very first thing is something, this is a really innocuous exercise that I had to do in sixth grade. And uh, I remember this very clearly in when I was in elementary school, I don't know exactly how it is nowadays. um, There were no communication classes. There Mm -hmm. was, you know, math, history, science. The closest we got to communication was either like um, special lunch periods where we would do exercise or during health. Mm -hmm. That's when we tended to get our communication kind of information. So during one of these health classes, and usually, by the way, health happened on a rainy day when we couldn't go outside for PE, mm-hmm. and it was during one of these days, and the health teacher, I remember very specifically, said, okay, everyone, it's rainy, and I grew up in Southern California, so it never rained. It's rainy, so I'm, I am I pulled out this worksheet I've been saving for a rainy day, okay? Here's a worksheet to pass it around. And it was this circle, and it said, it was, it was a, a big circle, kind of like a Venn diagram, so two circles kind of overlapping, and it said, are you an extrovert, mm-hmm. or are you an introvert. Mm. And she kind of guided us through this very basic exercise to do exercise introvert. And then she had all the extroverts stand on one side of the room and all the introverts stand on the other side of the room. <laughs> and um, one thing you should know that I didn't realize at the time was asking an introvert to call themselves out is oh, one God. of the worst things. I'm like, I'm even thinking about that. <laughs> I know. So the extroverts were like, me, I'm an extrovert, me. Like they're jumping up and down. And the introverts are like, not me. Don't look not at me. me. Please let me just disappear. Yeah, exactly. And so like if you look at the introvert half of the room, um, it was like everyone was like kind of like huddled in yes, the corner. Like, no one wanted to stand in the front. And the extroverts were like, you know, making labels for themselves in t-shirts. And that was a really kind of funny exercise for me because I remember very specifically, first of all, not feeling like either label applied to me. Mm -hmm. And that is really hard. First of all, labels are hard, um, but I actually think that we can make them work for us. So I didn't feel like either label applied to me. I didn't feel like I belonged with the extroverts. I knew all those kids, obviously. I'd gone to school with them for years. I know the introverts. I didn't feel like I belonged with them. And there was a couple of other kids I felt like we were like, "Mm, we don't know. Many, many years later, I was studying the research on personality. There's actually science on personality. And they 
there's this term that I had never heard of before called ambivert. And this is the very first hack I would give to kids, which is um, the extroversion scale is helpful. It's helpful to know where you get social energy. And I would have explained this concept to any, and I do this with any young person I work with. I do this with all adults too. Obviously I have tons of adult students mostly. Um, the first thing I explain is we have limited social energy, right? Mm. All of us have, we have, we have work energy. We have exercise energy. We have romantic energy. We also have social energy. This is the amount of energy that you have to do interactions, to have, make first impressions, to make conversation, to do chit chat, um, to make friends and extroverts, they get social energy. They create social energy when they're around people. They might feel like, blah, I'm having a bad day. And the moment they walk into their classroom and they see their friends, they're like, oh my gosh, I feel mm -hmm. so much better. Mm -hmm. They, they actually get, they create energy when they see their friends or they see people. Introverts, create or get their social energy when they recharge by themselves. So they might have a nice, quiet, calm, peaceful morning at home. They have a lovely bowl of cereal with their cat. <laughs> you know, maybe they, maybe they, um, you know, watch a little bit of TV or news in the background with their mom. Maybe they have a, you know, a nice car on the way to school, listening to some music with their dad. And they're like, okay, I'm ready for the school day. Mm. And they come into school with all their social energy already in their battery. Mm-hmm. Those are very different ways of approaching the day. Mm. Those are very different ways of approaching a school dance or, you know, a recess or um, uh, going to youth group or, you know, mm. going to soccer practice. That if you're the recharge kind, you have to make sure that you have breaks in your day to recharge. Mm. That when you get in the car with your parent at the end of the day, that you can say, hey, mom, like, can I just have some chill out time? Can mm. we listen to our favorite music? Mm. That's important for an introvert on the way to piano practice, right? Mm. Important to note for parents, too, that, you know, they're not pushing you off necessarily. They're trying to regain some energy. And, and, and that our, our young people can say that. They can mm. say that without feeling bad to say, hey, mom, like, can we make the car on the way from school to soccer practice recharge time? Mm. Like, that's very empowering mm. for introverts. And for extroverts, if they're having a bad mood, a cranky day, that for them, maybe the best thing is to go play with their sibling. Mm. It is to maybe go hang out with their friends right away. It, maybe it is to actually set up a carpool because they like to hang out with people on the way to school. Mm. Very, mm. very different. So mm. that, those are those two categories. And then the, the third one is this ambivert. And that's for people who are, and this is me as well. I don't know if this is you. Definitely. Uh, definitely. Okay. So ambiverts and, and ambiverts have a really special opportunity. And the way that you always want to explain these personalities to to kids and um, to people who need it is every personality trait has strengths. There is no bad personality trait. Introverts do a really good job at observing and listening. Extroverts do a really good job of making connections and building friendships. Ambiverts are very, very flexible. They have really, really flexible skills. So what an ambivert is, they are situational extroverts or situational introverts. In some situations, they come alive. They are their best self. Mm. They can chat and make jokes and tell stories. Whereas other situations make them feel like, you know what, I gotta hibernate for a little bit. I'm gonna be an observer. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't wanna be the center of attention. And for ambiverts, the most important thing for them is to know which situations charge them and which situations drain them. Mm -hmm. oh, these are so interesting and so helpful, you know, just to know those, but also then to be able to connect the life hack to it, to say, be able to say to a parent, 
I, I need some chill out time if you're an introvert to be able to say to a parent, I need to spend some time with some people who make me feel, you know, loved and energetic uh, after school. I can't go right to my homework because I'm, I'm drained at that point. I don't I don't have it. And also as an ambivert to be able to step back and say, you know, I, I need to really look at what I need in this particular moment, because in this type of situation, when I'm coming off of this type of situation from school, I need this. But if I'm coming off this other situation, I need mm-hmm. that. I get so yeah. interesting. Yeah. And that and those are kind of the, the two follow-up hacks. So the way that I like to think about knowledge, the way that I teach my students, is that the very first thing is awareness. Is ah, I've never heard of the term ambiverts. The very mm-hmm. first thing is just explaining the difference between introvert yes. and extrovert and having them identify. That's step number one. Hack number two is beginning to activate it and set up boundaries. So as we mentioned, like sharing with parents, uh, knowing like in a day, how do they split up their social energy? How do they distribute it evenly? And the last one, which is really important, um, is being able to optimize in a way that really works for them. So for example, I, as an ambivert, I tend to really thrive in like learning situations. So in school, um, I like to like group, like working in groups in the classroom or like doing, um, things in the classroom. However, recess was terrifying. Mm. I I wish that someone had helped me navigate that it's not like I was socially awkward all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Like I I actually did really well in the classroom with a good a teacher nearby, um, with an activity to do, whereas the lunchroom, the cafeteria and the and recess were really scary for me. Mm -hmm. I wish I had had a little bit of different social skills for each situation and been able to bring out the learning from the classroom onto the playground. Mm-hmm. So the last step is trying to help your child or the, or the teen and your youth in your life figure out how they can begin to set up a life that honors their personality trait. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think that the greatest gift we can give our young people is to tell them that you are great the way you are. In fact, we should optimize for that. The worst people skills advice that I got for many, many years, and again, these were by well-meaning adults, they really meant well, is I was told over and over again, to be popular, to be liked, to make friends, you just have to fake being an extrovert. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. Now, they, they didn't use those words. They didn't mm-hmm. say you have to fake being an extrovert, but they would say like, smile more, mm-hmm. or just be friendly, or you know, go up to that kid over there and just make conversation with them. <laughs> you're like, no. <laughs> yeah. Those are all very extroverted things to do. And if you're not an extrovert, that's like telling someone to not be themselves. And so it's actually much better to find, okay, if you're an ambivert or introvert, an, an ambivert or introvert is not going to walk up to a new friend at camp and be like, hi, I'm mm-hmm. Vanessa. I'm a recovering awkward person. They're never <laughs> going to do that. <laughs> Right. That, that's not So you asking them to do that is going to sound terrifying and they're probably not going to do it. Whereas you could say, hey, when you, if you're an introvert, when you first get to camp, it's a lot of people, I know. So the very first thing you can do is just kind of take a lay of the land. And then when you get assigned your bunk, put away some of your clothes and look around and see if anyone nearby has a similar object to you. Oh, so good. Then in, in the quiet of your bunk, when it gets a little bit more settled, when you see someone who has a similar object to you, maybe a similar book, maybe a similar stuffed animal, maybe a similar um, uh, uh, piece of gear, 
or like shorts or hat, you can walk over and be like, hey, I have that too. Mm-hmm. That's a very much easier way for an introvert to have a conversation in a bunk with a much smaller group of people using an, a shared item. It's a much more specific way to approach. So giving them really specific tools that are based on their personality trait as opposed to having them pretend to be something they're not. I love this. And that was incredibly useful. And it's interesting. I'm just, my mind is sort of racing while you're talking about how we often do very specifically give introverts the advice to do things that are counter to their personality. And mm-hmm. uh, and we, we really don't do that too much to extroverts. And then we wonder why they, you know, so many take over um, in social situations. And then we find it almost overbearing. But we don't typically give that type of feedback. We usually really give more feedback of getting out there to our kids and approaching people and smiling more. So interesting. The, and the and also if, hat, what to do. That's yeah. Great. And it. Exactly. And if you're, if you yourself listening are an introvert or ambivert and you're like, I can't even think of tools to give mm-hmm. a fellow introvert or ambivert. So you have two options. One, you're welcome to blame me. So Love it. Um, we have tons of free YouTube videos. My, mm-hmm. most of our young people watch our YouTube videos. We, I build them for them because mm-hmm. um, they love YouTube. You're also welcome. The book is very family friendly. You're welcome yes. to get in the book and be like, you know, what does Vanessa have to say? It's it. I do give a lot of business examples. Yes. But it's a great exercise to go through and be like, how would you make this work for you? One of the things that I I think that we underestimate the ability of teenagers to um, uh, take content to another level Mm -hmm. by saying, and there's a really distinct skill that I like to teach my, my young people, which is not... Oh, this this won't work for me, which is mm-hmm. what a lot of teens and tweens are like. Oh, this this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. Instead, give them the challenge of how can you make this work for you. Mm-hmm. They really yeah. rise to the occasion. Yeah, agreed. They're so savvy and uh, they love know knowing things. They love being mm-hmm. able to do things. You know, it's what you're saying, I think, is is really so helpful. And I imagine our listeners are loving this and some are listening to it with the kids in the car. Um, It helps to spark information. I'm wondering after you just told us those life hacks of, you know, here's really what I wish I had. Is there anything that you wish you could say, stop doing this to your own, you know, old teenage self or to somebody who um, is is an awkward person, um, a teenager, <laughs> and that's like not exactly making them the most likable in the room. Like, what what's something you'd be like? Mm, eh, let's mm, like cut, yes. the, cut that out. Yes, yes. So okay, so there is this a great study, and I wish the study had come out when I was younger, but maybe I wouldn't have been even exposed to it. So there's a study by Van Sloan, and this is in the very, I believe, last chapter of my book. And what he did is he did the study that we all wish had been done when we were in high school. He wanted to know why popular kids are popular. Mm-hmm. This was a question that plagued me. And it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to be popular because that was way out of my realm. I just wanted to be liked. Yes. <laughs> yes. I just wanted to like not feel like everyone was talking about me or hated yes, me. Of that course, was, you and yeah. everybody else, right? Yes. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't realize that that was everyone else. At the time, I thought it was just me. So what he did is he took thousands of high school students and he studied the popular kids. 
he compared them to, he, so he took, um, uh, did a, a huge amount of research on all the kids in these schools and uh, figured out which were the popular kids by rank. So he asked each kid to list other popular kids. And then he studied the differences between those popular kids and the quote unquote not popular kids. And I'm not doing a great job of explaining the, the background of the study. He did a, He had a really great layout for mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And I was, first of all, I'll, I'll make you guess, Robin. So oh, what goodness. do you think, I, why not? We should play a little game. What do you think there was one major difference between the popular kids and not popular kids? What was it? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. What was the main difference between the popular kids and the unpopular kids? Well, I feel like a popular kids typically feel more um, confident in who they are. Okay. That's absolutely what I guessed. <laughs> I guessed it had to do with confidence and self-esteem, and I believe Van Sloan did as well. He thought it would have to do with self-esteem. So interestingly, it did not. Mm-hmm. It did not have to do with confidence. It wasn't about uh, GPA. It wasn't about athletics. It wasn't no. about attractiveness. It wasn't about confidence. The biggest difference between popular kids and least popular kids is the popular kids liked the most people. Mm. Ooh, they had like a bigger pool. In other words, they went into school liking everyone. Mm. And so therefore, people liked them more too. Mm. Whereas the least popular kids had a lot of kids they didn't like. Yeah. That came across. Now, as Mm. soon as I ever explain this study to other kids, they're like, oh, yeah. Like it, they immediately get it, but it's, they get it, but they wouldn't have come up with that themselves. And this is really powerful because we are in absolute control of how many people we like. Mm. Mm. We are in control of how we view others. Mm -hmm. And so it's very empowering. And so what I would tell myself as well as young people is stop not liking people (laughs) because that's, that's a a defense mechanism that we put up because we're afraid they don't like us. Mm. Mm. And what happens is if you're really, I think that of course self-esteem is tied to this, of course confidence tied to this. If you don't like yourself, you have much lower bandwidth to like others. And that actually creates this really awful negative loop. Mm-hmm. So what you're better off doing is walking into camp or walking into school or walking into youth group and thinking, how can I like as many people as possible? What do I have to find out about all these people so that I can find a way to like them? Mm-hmm. That is the fastest way to getting people to like you. It's not being prettier. It's not having a great Instagram. It's not having a higher GPA. It's not running for student council. <laughs> it's not having funny jokes. It's not having cool clothes. It's not any of that. It's just how can I find a way to like more people? And that's a very empowering way to walk through the hallways. Agreed. And I feel like it connects so well with something else that you talk about in your book, which is finding the good in people. I mean, really, when you're trying to find ways to like people, yes, it can be based on connection and and mutual interests. But when you sort of look for the good in people, well, then, of course, we're going to like them more. So can you talk a little bit about about how we can highlight the good in others and how that helps us to connect better with people and become more likable? Yeah. So I don't talk about this in my book, but I talk about it. I um, run something called People School, which is like the kind of the, the, the communication school I wish I had had. Yeah. 
Um, and one of the, the, the mind tricks that I teach, which I think works really well is, so it's one thing to know the study, right? To know, okay, I've got to like more people. Then putting that into practice is, is like, okay, now what? <laughs> what do I do? Especially if you're like me, um, I'm a high neurotic. And neuroticism <laughs> yeah. is one of the personality, five, big five personality traits. And neuroticism, unfortunately, my fellow neurotics, we have a tendency to worry. We have a tendency yes. to look for bad. And that's not a bad thing. It's just, it's a self-protective mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so we really have to work hard to overcome it. Mm -hmm. So um, a mental trick that happened to me, I learned this accidentally, is um, I was asked to host a panel at a conference. And uh, the organizer of the conference forgot to send out information about the other panel members. And I didn't think about it either. So I get to the actual day, I'm sitting in the green room and I have a, a room full of four people. And the host of the conference says, okay, great. If you could um, start the panel, introduce everyone, and then you know, kick off with questions. Well, I had my questions, but I hadn't, I didn't have anyone's introduction. Mm. I was like, oh my goodness, these are four really important people, <laughs> and if I don't have a great way to introduce them in the next, you know, ten minutes, they're <laughs> gonna look really silly. So in that green room for the ten minutes where I went on stage, I asked them as many questions as I could to find out their accolades. In other words, I tried to give them a platform to brag a little bit mm -hmm. um, because I couldn't print out an introduction. And we ended up having this like really amazing discussion and they felt um, it warmed them up in a way for the audience that I never could have expected. And I thought to myself, what a great mental trick. Like what if you walked into a room or when you met someone, you played the game in your mind. What if I had to introduce this person mm. to someone else mm. in in 15 minutes, <laughs> what questions would I ask them to learn about what they have that's bragworthy? Mm. And that's a really different way of going about questions, right? Like that, then you're not just saying, so where do you go to school? Like this, whenever I hear teenagers talk, it's typically, especially if they don't, are not in the same school, like let's say it's a youth group talk or a soccer camp or something like that. They'll be like, so where do you go to school? What grade are you in? Mm -hmm. Well. And then it kind of stops, right? Like, they, like they, there's not like much, it doesn't go much else because it's like, well, what else do we talk about, right? Right, right. But if you had to introduce them, okay, you could say, okay, and you know, here's uh, here's Sam and she goes to Marlboro School, she's in 10th grade. What else would you want to say? Maybe you could ask, um, so are you part of any other groups? Do you play any sports? Are you in student council? Right, like any of those questions begin to let you see who this person is in a deeper way than just their basic stats, mm -hmm. their basic mm -hmm. facts. I saw in your book, even you, you, you know, when you're talking to adults, you're asking for their passion projects and, mm -hmm. you know, what's really exciting for them and have they ever gone on vacation somewhere that they loved or, or whatever, that these types of changes to basic questions can really elicit some response that provides good information, but also gets them energized and kind of excited about the conversation. Exactly. And a really easy one for young people, a really easy one is, do you do anything fun this weekend? Mm -hmm. So like, that's a very, very casual question. It's way better than how are you? It's way better than what's up. Or if it's a Friday, are you doing anything fun this weekend? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a nice side door question into what are your personal passion projects? Cause obviously a teenager cannot ask a fellow teenager what's your, I mean, they could, yeah. um, but it's an easier one because then they can say, oh yeah, you know, I had a soccer tournament or, you know, I, uh, building my video game or whatever mm -hmm. it is that they're doing. Um, it's a really easy one. So I always, I use the weekends a lot in my conference charters and I think that young people can as well. 
Okay. Okay. You know, speaking of these incredible conversations, before we get to our top tip, I'd love for you to give a little bit in, of insight to to parents and to educators who are trying to have some really important conversations with kids. On this podcast, we're all about having these important and sometimes really tough conversations about drugs and alcohol and sex and porn and technology and bullying and things that make us sweat. So what is what is a, a hack that you might use or what would you want a parent or educator to know in order to reach kids in conversation with some of those tricks and insights that you have? Yeah, um, I think that there's two effects. I, I love to go to the research. You know, I'm a total research I geek. I love it. So, I love it. Okay. So there's two research effects that I would try to use in these conversations. And these are, you know, proven in a way, as much as you can prove communication science. Uh, they've been tested in the lab. And I think they're very interesting ways to approach these kind of talks. So most of the time when you're thinking about talking about drugs or porn or um, a really sticky issue, a uh, parent will kind of do their research our teacher will do their research and then come and prepare, right? You know, I want to talk to you about. But the lecture is, begins. Yes, exactly. Which which is, is sometimes you have to do it that way. That's fine. Um, but there are two effects that I would say, can you consider adding in these two things? The first one is um, uh, the vulnerability effect. So anytime you start with sharing a vulnerability, it um, there's reciprocity begins to kick in. So if you share a vulnerability, the other person just instinctively wants to reciprocate that vulnerability. And if you really want to have a discussion about something, you really want them to be vulnerable with you too. You want them to mention the time that someone asked them something awkward. You want them to tell you about that awkward time at the party. You want them to tell you about a question they had have in the back of their head, but they're afraid to Google or they're afraid to look up. Um, and so if you start with some kind of vulnerability, that's actually way better than starting off with information. I think typically as adults, we want to give lots of really important information. You know, like we were like, could you, could you believe that 56% of teenagers are, <laughs> you know, um, and, and that's fine. Information is fine, but actually starting off with a vulnerability, ideally personal yes. is actually better. So is there a story that you can share about your own life? Um, that will maybe catch them off guard a little bit to be like, whoa, I didn't know that about you. Yes. Because that's what you want to know about them. <laughs> you want to know something that you didn't know about them too. So start off with something that they hopefully don't know about you. And the second thing is actually, I would use the Franklin effect. So um, one of the ex effects I explain in my book is this famous story about Benjamin Franklin who figured out that if you ask for a favor, people are much more likely to like you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is weird. You would think that giving a favor actually makes you more likable, but no, actually the person who asks for the favor does better. Hmm. So is there a way that you can ask as opposed to tell? So that might be asking for advice. Mm -hmm. Like that might be, you know, here's a vulnerability share from my own past or my own history. Um, I know that this topic is coming up. We got a letter from school about it and, you know, everyone's talking about it. I have no idea how to approach this with you. I've done, you know, I've done a little bit of Google research. I, I, li I listened to Dr. Robin's podcast about it, and I still feel like this is a really weird topic to talk about. Um, you know, can you talk to me about it? Can you walk me through it? What advice would you give me as a parent? Because I know nothing about it. So asking for advice mm -hmm. from your own teenager can actually be a very powerful way to elicit the Franklin effect, where you're not telling, but you're actually asking them for help on it, 
yourself. Mm, mm, it, absolutely. I love that technique. And uh, I'm just thinking about the fact that we were just called into uh, the school to do, uh, view the video on puberty. Um, yeah, it was, you know, and, and I've had some of the conversations, but you're like, Oh no, we're going there. Oh, we're going there too. Okay. Then, um, so yes. Yeah. So you, I have, I only a six month old. We're not at puberty yet. Thank (laughs) goodness. (laughs) You enjoy that. You enjoy that. Yeah. It it was, I I figured, all right, I'm going to go and uh, I'm going to see what the the kids are going to be seeing. And I could just like, I, I just, the parents around me and, and myself were like, okay, then, you know, while you're watching this video and you're like, oh, okay, okay. Wow. And I would say that, like, I would actually, you know, like with your child be like, oh my God, they made us watch this video. And it was like awkward, right? <laughs> like, it was like weird. We were giggling. The parents were giggling. <laughs> I mean, that's a really honest way to open up that conversation. Cause you can bet if it made you awkward, it made them really okay. awkward. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And more awkwardness will ensue, you know, so mm-hmm. it's like the gift that keeps on giving. I love that. <laughs> uh, I, you, you do. I know you do such a good job in your book about talking, you know, telling your stories. And it is such a good way of connecting. And I think that's it's an important thing to keep in mind as parents when we're trying to approach these conversations to to put your stories in there and not be so afraid to tell what happened to you when you walked into that room, when you felt so awkward at age 14 or at age 44, whatever it is, and so that your child opens up more. I, I appreciate that technique so very much. Um, what would be your top tip? Cause I, and I know we're ending this like so quickly. I would wish I could just stay on the phone with you forever, but I know you've got that sweet little baby and I want to be kind to your time. So give me your top tip of what you really want us to know and take away about helping that awkward teen or ourselves, which, you know, we're just recovering awkward teens, many of us. What, what tip can you give us so that we can help as many of our young people as possible feel more comfortable in their own skin and really succeed in social situations? I think it's a branch off of something I hinted at earlier. And it's this idea that um, I think that our culture tends to value one type of charisma. Mm-hmm. We talk about, you know, very charismatic people. We sort of think of this booming, bubbly personality. And for females, unfortunately, uh, that bubbly extrovert is very uh, idealized. And for males, it's the uh, funny storyteller. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to naturally have that. And some some people are naturally that way, but most are not. And I think that young people especially feel like if they're not that bubbly extroverted girl or they're not that funny guy, uh, they're not charismatic or they're not likable. Mm. And so the big tip that I am constantly trying to get across in my work is that everyone has their own unique flavor of charisma. Mm. And we don't actually like to have one type. If you look at, and then I would use as many role models as you possibly can. You know, Steve Jobs was not known for his humor, mm-hmm. but he was very powerful and did really amazing things. He was a very powerful charisma. You also have the quiet observer kind of charisma. You have the connector charisma. You have the nurturer charisma. You have the empathetic charisma. And so, all of those are charismatic in their own way, and they're all likable. And that's, I think, what I would work with is trying to help 
our young people identify their unique brand of charisma and help them honor it and show it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's so good. It's kind of like the intelligences, right? That we mm-hmm. have all these different types of intelligences. And if we just honor that one, that academic version or that athletic version, we're negating all these other amazing intelligences that can change the world. And it feels like that's so so much so congruent with what you're saying that there's so many different types of charisma and by only looking at one of them and honoring one of them we we all lose out exactly and one of the things you know a really easy way to do this is both what we talked about earlier about like situations you know honoring your personality and it's also nonverbal we train uh, and certify a bunch of body language trainers to teach these techniques. And we have a lot of coaches who work with young people. And I think that teaching teenagers, especially about nonverbal communication and their nonverbal brand is also something that they've never considered before. So it's not just the verbal techniques. It's also um, teaching your young people how to read facial expressions, um, you know, how how to hold themselves, how to carry themselves, how to make a first impression. The nonverbal is just as important as the verbal. Absolutely. I know you talk about power stances and and getting yourself ready for those meetings and walking into a room um, as well as, you know, what is that person's face saying? And being able to read those social cues is so much of the battle for young people and for and for all of us, really. What is you know, if I do this, if I say this, what is being read on that person's face? But also, even when I first walk into a room and I'm reading the room and I'm looking at people's faces, like that person doesn't seem so happy over there. You know, that person you yeah. know, looks really comfortable. That person looks like they want to talk to somebody but haven't found somebody to talk to. And all of that can be really important in, in entering a room or making friends and making connections. Isn't that right? Exactly. And so the more that we can talk about that and, and find tools and videos and books and practice and watch TV shows and be like, wow, did you notice that eye roll? That's Those are all moments that you're giving them tools to begin to be more perceptive. Mm-hmm. All right. Give us the resource of the week where people can go to get more information about you, your book, and all the great things that you have to offer at The Science of People. Sure. Yeah, we have everything on the sciencepeople.com. So uh, scienceofpeople.com. And we have tons of free resources up there, uh, articles, videos. You can explore our YouTube channel. Uh, we also are launching our next class of people school coming up. So if you really want to dive into the, to the techniques, um, you can also join us for that as well. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love what you said, and I really just love talking to you. It's, it's. I feel like I really learned something, and your book is filled with that. Your videos are filled with that. So I encourage everybody to to go and check those out. Uh, again, Vanessa's book is called Captivate, and it really does take you through. Uh, what you should be doing and what she talks about those first five minutes, first five hours and first five days of getting to know somebody. So I appreciate all these great tips that you provided and even the way that you speak and how we can script talking to kids about these complex topics that make life so much easier for them. So thank you so very much for coming on the show today. Oh, it's my honor. Thank you so much for having me.
Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com, twitter.com slash drrobin, also on Instagram at drrobinsilverman. I'm going to be going back and forth with Vanessa. As you know, I create memes based on all the great things that our guests said. And I, I think you probably agree that Vanessa said some really interesting things we should slap on a meme and share to the world. And if you love this podcast like I I did. I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can find out about these outstanding solutions and tips and takeaways that Vanessa talked about so that they can use them in their own homes. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more of my information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts are up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. I know you heard things today that you're like, ah, I said the wrong thing. Don't worry, we all do that. You're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting, thankfully, is the ultimate do-over. I see you, I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know that you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. been listening to how to talk to kids about anything with dr robin silverman for more information on books articles speaking engagements or curriculum please visit drrobinsilverman.com